folks, it's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning, folks. Steve Williamson here. Uh, Karen McClellan is joining me, co-hosting the show today. We have a guest, Diana Post. Diana, Diane Post. I got to keep that Gideon at my sister-in-law is Diana. Um, the last time we had her was 2013, talking about private prisons. I was stunned to find it was that long ago. And I went back and looked, uh, did a quick search in our website. We first talked about private prisons in 2012, and it was in-house. Bill Timmerman, a, a participant, did a whole show on it. And then in 2013, we had uh, Diane Post, great interview. And then um, later on, we've had a lot of shows that touch on it. We had Donald Cohen, right? Uh, you remember him on uh, The Privatization of Everything. Great book. Recommend it to folks. And last year, and we had more another show where we talked about it peripherally in 2016. So, Diane Post, are you there? I am certainly here. All right. And last time I talked to you, and I know Karen has talked to you at, at, at several meetings, but the last time I talked to you and the last time you were on the show, I think, was 2013. And uh, welcome back. Well, thank you. The sad thing is that private prisons was an issue before we did a show in 2012, yes. and it's still an issue now, right, Correct. Diane? Yeah. A lot has happened, you know, uh, uh, well, se- several things. On the national level, Obama made uh, an executive order to stop using for-profit prisons for federal prisoners, mm-hmm. but then we had a change of administration, uh, and mm-hmm. that order went in the toilet. Well, now Biden has made uh, a similar order to stop using for-profit prisons for federal prisoners, but what he did was just start using them for INS detention. Oh. So they're still being used, this time for detaining, you know, children who walked a thousand miles, who, if they were Ukrainian, we would be applauding them, but because they're not, we're putting them in jail. Yeah, because they're, they're, well... There's lots of different reasons. They're they're brown instead of white, exactly. and you know, and they're not Europeans. And this is a country founded for better or worse, in some ways worse, uh, by Europeans for Europeans, and anybody who got in the way had problems. Um, but um, that's that's a good point. And then of course the Ukrainian refugees are fleeing a war, and these people are fleeing much more what our ancestors did, which was economic poverty but they might be fleeing a war as well and often a war that Mm. we promulgated by our support of military dictatorship exactly but a lot of times it's it's the the war the the crime is gangs it's not official governmental stuff it's gangs and deals that the gangs cut with the governments of like el salvador when i lived in russia the russians said to me let's see mafia no gangsters government Government gangsters. What's the difference? Ah, when were you in Russia? Oh, I lived there from 98 to 2000 and then 2007 to 
Well, that was a mighty time to be there, I think. Two different times. Yeah. The other thing on the for-profit prisons is the lawsuit. You know that we filed a, well, not we, I mean, actually the NAACP is a plaintiff along with, I think there are now six uh, prisoners who are in the for-profit prisons in Arizona that are plaintiffs in that lawsuit. What's the basis of the lawsuit? That it's a violation of the 13th Amendment because it is the ownership of people. Trading people as a commodity in the market for money. That's called slavery. Yeah. We should That's go into the, we should go into the scandals about the the fact that private prisons cost more, they're they 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 try to make more money by cutting for uh, things for uh, stuff. Folks, you, there's a I you can correct me, but I think there's stats I saw were 155 at private prisons in the U.S. We have 10 in Arizona. It's about 16% of the prison population. 30 states have private prisons to give folks a, a dimension of the problem that we're talking with Diane Post about. It is a huge problem, but I want to go back to something you said. Yes, it is true that they cost more, they have fewer services. They have higher recidivism rates. All of the things that they claimed are the reason to contract with private prisons were lies. But that is not the basis of the lawsuit. Mm -hmm. The basis of the lawsuit is it is a constitutional violation to enslave people for money. And that's what they're doing. Because the state is contracting with a for-profit business to lock people up. When they're in that prison, it is the for-profit guards who write up the disciplinary slips. All right. What about the in prison longer? What about the amendment? And I don't remember the number right off. And and it makes an exclusion for prisoners in the banning of. People owning people and in sl and slavery. No, okay. The, the, it, but it also, but it says that you can imprison people for crimes. The Thirteenth Amendment says there's no slavery. Period. There's a, actually a comma, no slavery, comma, or involuntary servitude, comma, if the person was lawfully convicted of a crime. <clears throat> now it is our argument that. The involuntary servitude is what applies to the if the person was convicted of a crime, so not slavery. You're making a distinction between the person being in a a government or state-run prison versus a private entity. You know that it, it's you're saying it, it's lawful for the government to uh, put someone in jail because they're not making money off of it. No in theory. No, it's lawful for the government to do this because that is part of their power. Only the government Only, has yeah. the power to lock somebody up. So you're distinguishing between the rights of the government and the rights of a private cor corporation. The corporation is then in violation because they're not the government. Yeah. The, and the government is in violation because they should not delegate their undelegable powers to a for-profit entity. Mm -hmm. Where, where in uh, the system is that lawsuit at the moment where well it was filed oh, about a year and a half ago and it was dismissed so then it was refiled a new complaint was refiled and it has been dismissed a second time here in arizona in the federal court 
Now, in the second dismissal, they did find that the prisoners had standing and the NAACP had standing. But they said that they had not found a case where a for-profit prison was found to be committing slavery. Well, we told them that. We said, yeah, this is a case of first impression. This is meaning it's the first time it's been brought up. So, of course, you didn't find a case. We told you you wouldn't find a case. So there was a lot of analysis about why and going back to the original passage of the 13th Amendment and what it meant at the time, because it's not just slavery. It's also the badges of slavery that were prohibited. So what does that mean, the badges of slavery, like not being able to vote, like having a poll tax? You know, all those kinds of things have come under the 13th Amendment. So there was a very long legal brief, and there's some big legal names that are on this lawsuit, and the court really was very short of analysis and just said, well, we can't find any cases, so we're dismissing it. So two things are happening at this point. Either that case will be appealed to the Ninth Circuit, or another case similar to it will be filed in another district, another state. And let's see what happens there. So that case was regarding um, federal prisons and federal prisoners, right? No, no, it was the state of Arizona. But they were, what were they, um, people in and. Convicted in Arizona state, I mean, yes. of state, it was, it was people convicted of state crimes in Arizona, Correct. not, not federal prisoners who happened to be in Arizona. So you were using that again. So that would presumably, that lawsuit could be filed in any state that has private prisons. Because you're alleging there's no, you're not, there's not a distinction that can be made between what the state government is doing and the federal government. There would be both unconstitutional. Everybody's it, under the 13th Amendment, yes. Yes, and there's, like, like I said, there are 30 states that have private prisons. Yes. So this would be a major uh, major blow to the private industry, uh, prison industry, which is extremely large and has a long history of corruption. Yes. Uh, and lawsuits <laughs> and lobbyists, and there's two giant corporations. I think it's called Geo Group. And then um, last time we talked about what is it? The Prison Corporation of America. They changed their name because the Core got, Civic. Yeah, they they got sued so or it got such a bad rep, uh, reputation that they changed their name to Core Civic. <laughs> well. And, the, the private prisons also see the handwriting on the wall, and they've been moving into things like halfway houses, yeah. drug treatment centers, yeah. all for profit. So it's and also um, leg change, you know, leg um, electronic leg bracelets, all of the other parts of keeping track of people, monitoring people in our society, and monetizing that and making money out of that. Um, several other countries, Australia, South Africa, and the United Kingdom use private prisons to a degree. Yes. Do you know what's happening in those uh, sort of distant places from Arizona? No, but what I do know is that they tried to go into Israel, and we have a fabulous Israeli Supreme Court decision saying, no, we're not having any for-profit prisons in Israel because it is a violation of human dignity to make money on caging someone up. I, I know that one of these giant corporations uh, based in Tennessee yeah. uh, was founded by um, the head of the Republican Party 
in Tennessee, in Tennessee. and a real estate uh, uh, agent. And I noticed that uh, a long time these things, Diane, I don't know why, why were they real estate-based trusts? I mean, one of the corporations just changed to a corporation. Yes. But it was a, a real, uh, what's the technical term, real estate? It's an REA. I yeah. can't remember exactly what it stands for. <clears throat> so it, it, Okay, here, here's the theory behind that. They are not prisons. They are property managers. Right. So they are simply managing the property. They are not attempting to do rehabilitation or correction or anything like that, because that then gets them into the, quote, prison business, unquote. They're not in the prison business. They're only in business to manage the real estate. You know, build or loan out, you know, build or buy and then lease the property to run and a living institution where, where people live. You know? I noticed that the, the original name, I'm looking at my notes, was the Correction Corporation of America. Of America. And they Correction changed that to Core Civic yes, right. to take the whole corrections out of the name. Core right. Civic now instead of Correction Corporation of America. It's not just rebranding them because they were got these lawsuits and all these problems and conflicts with the stuff. It's also to try to do exactly what you're saying. But also switching to an REA, they pay less taxes. <laughs> it's just it's been they they begin in the 80s. Do you know why? I mean, I, I know that's a, di a difficult question. Do you know why they started in the 80s? One started yes. the big corporation started in 83 and the other in 84. Yes. Well, they existed during reconstruction and after reconstruction failed. You know that. Yeah. The black codes and all of that and the, and the sheriffs uh, you know were paid by the companies to arrest black people so they could then put them to work on the on the on the railroads and also the plantations, et cetera. So, Why don't you talk about that for a couple of minutes? Because folks may not know that history. Okay. Well, the history was that sheriffs and justices of the peace were not paid by the government. They were paid by the people who brought lawsuits to their courts and who filed complaints in uh, with the sheriff. So that's who paid their salary. So needless to say, they didn't have any loyalty to any government rules, they were being paid by the participants in their courts and in their uh, complaining about crimes. So the a corporation, as I said, the, the, the um, trains or the plantations would need so many workers, they would literally give the sheriff a list of, I need these many men and I need these couple of women, you know, to do the laundry and cook the food, so get me those, and they would go out and arrest them. Black people. They would just go out and arrest them wherever they found them in order to, to meet this quota. And then they would convict them, and then they would lease them to this private corporation. The corporation paid them, and that's how they got paid. Terrible. That whole corrupt <laughs> system was shut down in the 1920s by a combination of religious groups, civil rights groups, and, you know, a, a movement, basically, the same as we've, we've had now for some years. It rebirthed in the late 60s, early 70s, because of immigrants. When there started to be large numbers coming across the border then, they said, we don't have enough prison spaces to hold them, and they opened them up again, and that's what started it. And then it got big 
in, as you said, when they started these corporations in the 80s. I have a question for you, and, I, and I, it's a kind of difficult question, and, and, and it's a one of, I guess, judgment. But since you're an expert, let me ask you. And the question is, I'm going to read it out, is does privatizing prisons add to the epidemic of mass incarceration? Yes, of course. That's one of our arguments. But because actually, they, it cre- it, it, you're saying in, 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 in response to that question, it actually increases the number of people incarcerated because we have these private prisons? Yes, and there's proof of that in that they have lobbied to make stronger sentences, longer sentences, harsher sentences to maintain criminal, criminalizing of drugs and marijuana and everything else so that there are more people to arrest. So they have lobbyists. They, you mentioned lobbyists. They hire lobbyists to make sure that the criminal laws are are long sentences. The United States has the longest sentences in the world. Yeah, I know when you were up here before, we've talked about things. They were the issues that Arizona, in particular, had these contracts. And I think when Governor Brewer was the governor then, signing contracts that guaranteed yes. payment to the jail equivalent to 100% occupancy. Is that common through these other in other states and no, other it issues? Is not common. Yeah. The Arizona, there's only two states that do this. Arizona's one of them. Now, as an attorney, let me ask you, why in the world would you sign a contract guaranteeing to pay for beds whether they were full or not? When particularly when the whole idea is that you you want to avoid fill, filling those beds through education or outreach programs or other things to keep people out of the justice system to start with. Yes. You eliminate the problems that cause some people to end up in the justice system, you know, drug treatment centers available before the person gets arrested for, you know, a robbery to feed his habit or, you know, other other issues like that. And Arizona was sort of backward, and that was a a big issue then. And I understand understand right now, that's one thing when I thought about your name popped into my head for one of our programs, was I was reading something that the state of Arizona now is in the process of converting uh, some of the other prisons in the Florence area where a lot of the state prison activity takes place in increasing the you know, transfer of, of people from state custody to private prison custody down there. Can you say a little bit about that? I sort of they're, they're closing one of the prisons that's very old and falling apart. You know, even though they have a gigantic budget and they've been given money for repairs and to fix those locks and everything else, they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I would really like to know where the money went, but they didn't fix those locks and they didn't make the repairs. And the prison is literally falling down around your head. In one out in Perrydale uh, several months ago, a, a concrete staircase literally fell off the building. Mm-hmm. It fell down onto the ground. If a prisoner or a guard or anybody had been under it, they would be dead. But fortunately, no one was. They've also had to close the kitchen down out there, a couple of kitchens, because of rat infestation and, you know, filthiness, completely not meeting any health standards. Um, So, yes, they're they're closing a prison in Florence and they're moving those people to a for-profit prison. That's their goal. But so absolutely, yes, for-profit prisons leads to and adds on to the mass incarceration problem that we have because it's all about money. So you can save money by uh, feeding prisoners cheaper food, by having fewer guards, by having uh, less cleaning of facilities. Less medical care. Less medical care. You can save money by doing all 
things yeah. that are really and detrimental to people who are who are in prison. But and we know in Arizona, our record on you know, medical care for people under state control. I mean, there've been ongoing lawsuits yep. for a decade or so about the quality of medical care provided to people who are in prisons run by the state of Arizona. So I can't imagine that the issues in, in private prisons where they have even more of a cost-cutting reason would probably be worse than what we hear about the state prisons. Well, some of the inmates say that the, the services are better there because they're newer buildings mm. and newer equipment. But it's just for that reason, not because they have any thought about being humanitarian or actually meeting decent medical standards. And there are still problems there, absolutely. And I'm certainly not saying that the state prisons are good because they're not. They're horrible. They're absolutely horrible. Yeah, well, Perryville, the one you mentioned, that's the women's prison sort of between yes. uh, between up northern Arizona and Phoenix. It's the place when you drive to Phoenix late at night, you can see bright lights out as you get down towards north Phoenix, you know, out in the desert, and that's Perryville out yeah. there. Is that the yeah. prison you're passing when you drive Yeah, the one way, quite a ways I off the road. I never knew which yeah. prison it was. Yeah, it's a women, women's state prison. Okay. I think I it, is that. it the only women's state prison in Arizona? I don't yes. know. Yeah. So it's all, on 10, actually. Yeah. But we see it from 17 out in the distance. You see these really bright lights out where there's nothing as you drive down. If you drive down to Phoenix you know, in, in late at night. You know. So you think that having private prisons has motivated more people to be incarcerated? It hasn't motivated the people to be incarcerated. It's motivated our system to arrest them and charge them and give them long sentences. Yeah, because we hear a lot of things. I know we've heard things up in you know local area and our county prisons that have tried to work on you know other things. You hear them a lot of people talk about you know diversion programs and right. drug courts and veterans courts yeah. and all of these various uh, prison things to try, particularly to try to identify people who are mentally ill yes. and provide alternate treatment, even if involuntary to you know to put them in with the general prison populations. And it seems to be on the county level. There seems to be some success on the kind of things that the county system deals with. And there also is a bill that's moving through the legislature right now and may or may not make it. Uh, 2573, that was, uh, it, it is about alternative prosecution, diversion, and appropriation. And again, it's at the county level, <laughs> not at the state level. And this is to collect funds through ACJC, uh, Arizona Criminal Justice Commission administer this alternative prosecution in counties. Yeah, because they seem to be, I know we've, we've had the county sheriff you know, here on, on. Show, we had, yeah. we've had at our Democratic breakfast a yeah. few years ago, and the county was looking for some additional money for a county jail in the form of a sales tax that I don't think passed in Arizona. They've built, building the prison, but they were talking about some of the things they did on, uh, particularly on mental health yeah. diversion. Yeah. And some, it, some know, of the sheriffs are way further ahead of the legislature, but others of them are not. Yeah, I know yeah. It's, it, that varies a lot in Arizona. We seem yeah. to, Coquino County, Yavapai County seem to have a number of, of things in place trying to do these kind of things to take someone who gets into the criminal justice system and provide them treatment if it's drug-related right. and or provide diversion if they would be better off in some kind of a home, there, there's one home system. Yeah. Decent bill that's in the legislature still moving, and that is HB 2116, which is about probation and work time credits 
some years ago, we eliminated work time credits where people, if you behaved well in prison, you would get time taken off your sentence. And that was a motivation for the prisoners to behave well, because if I behave well, I could get out a year or two years or whatever earlier. Well, they took that away. Why? There was no motivation for the prisoners to do anything. Why would you, why did, what was the rationale in taking something away that would seem to those of us listening to be just plain common sense? Yeah. Do the time, do the crime, do the time. We need to be harsh on these people. We need to punish these people. We need to bang them in the head and that'll fix them. Well, we all know that is absolutely not true. But that was the rationale, still is the rationale of many of people on a particular side of the aisle. Yeah, because most of these people that were getting those credits, these were not the people who were, they weren't mass murderers. Exactly. You know, they were the people who were involved with, with burglary or drugs. Well, and or mass murderers probably can't get something. it anyway because you've yeah. got natural life or some other thing and you're not getting out. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. But anyway, the, it would, it's not much. It would change work time credit to 25 days for 30 days reduction. So it's not huge. I mean, you know, you're getting five days, but... It's better than nothing, and it's well, at least a start. And it was introduced by a Republican. Is that one of uh, Blackman's bills? No, it's Kaiser. Kaiser Blackman okay. was the other one. Blackman was the one about funding to the counties for alternative prosecutions. Yeah. Well, it's it's you know even even given the record in Arizona, even a small step. Yeah. You know, little steps maybe will lead somebody if when when we change the legislature and get rid of some of the people down there, that will sort of. You know, spur people to, to, to the actual the change. Yeah. You know, we have had a series of horrible directors of our Department of Corrections. That's, and we have another one. Yeah. And their budget this year, the, the money that they're requesting is $1.5 billion, with a B, as in boy, to run the state prison for one Year. It seems I can't, re- you know, seeing those pie charts, I haven't just looked at one in a while, where actually this, the, the budget for corrections, the budget for public education, and the budget for access for the you know, health care for the injured all seem to be about equal. And, you know, in huge chunks of the budget, when it, we're spending more money on, take, on, on locking people up than we are yeah. on treating you know, problems that might get them in prison with the health care system or educating them in our right. K-12 school system. So they, right. have, they, they have options and you know, they, they stay, you know, maybe that keeps them into something where they don't, you know. When our prison population level is at its lowest since 2006. 2006, it's at its lowest since 2006, and they're asking for more money. And they're not going to do anything decent with it. We already know that. We all remember the, the the door lock scandal, and they got the money appropriated for the door locks, and they didn't fix them. Yeah, we remember that. Yeah, the, the locks weren't working, so so we had a, a couple of issues of escape. So prisoners were able to get out of jail because doors weren't locked. And the woman who turned in that video about the door lock, well, suddenly she uh, she turned up dead. <laughs> I'm laughing because. Private prison seems like one of the worst ideas of yes. the whole privatization movement. And when we talk to Donald Cohen, I mean, private prisons are sort of at the bottom of the last thing you should be privatizing. I mean, it seems logical not to privatize them. And I know that, you know, in, in the 70s and 80s, there was an emergence of the, uh, you know, the Milton Friedman School of, of, yes. of, of economics that thought government couldn't do anything right and right. private industry could do everything right. And all you had to do was take government uh, policies and programs and tr- transfer them to private industry. The problem is that 
you know, and if you're a private industry, if I'm a private industry, I want to make money. That's my job. And that's my job for my stockholders is make them as much money as possible. And I've got all these people incarcerated. I mean, the temptation to just cut corners to any any way you can is very hard. I know there are regulations. I know there are inspections. But, you know, it just motivates. It's hiring. It's transferring to people, human beings, like I say, American citizens mostly, to facilities that profit by by. By keeping them there. Well, it seems like a terrible idea. Well, as it well is as a terrible idea. But I want to challenge something you just said. Yeah. It is not the only job of corporations to make money for their stockholders. Well, they think it is. They think it is. I know that's what they think. Oh, yeah. That's what one court, a Michigan Supreme Court said, but that is not what the United States Supreme Court said. Corporations are agents of the government. Not, not agents. They are creations. Creations of the government. Remember, they were charters. When Britain was chartering, like the East India Company and this and that, they were charters given by the government to do certain things, and they had to do those things in the best interest of the government and the people. And it used to be that corporations had a community responsibility. They, They are not just a god of themselves. You know, they get to do whatever they want. They are creations of the government. They got to be incorporated by the government. Blah blah blah. So they should have and and do have. I would argue an obligation to the community, not just to their shareholders. Now I know that that whole legal argument has shifted into saying what you said, which is that they don't have an obligation to do anything but raise money. But I I d- I'm just saying that, that that's that their motivation, Diane. look at the history yeah. of, cor- of incorporating, yeah. and when you look at the law in the past, and the fact that this decision was a Michigan Supreme Court decision, not a U.S. Supreme Court decision. The, what we see is a maximization of profits. I mean, that is yeah. the job of, of corporations and businesses, just trying to make as much money as possible. But there are rules, right? Which leads to some of the other problems you mentioned. You know, you've got not just a temperation by the private company, and this also applies to state-run, federally-run prisons, you know, to you know, cut corners to save money, but the idea that the prisoners themselves, their labor is worth money. I know there's another right. bill in the Arizona legislature now. I haven't followed the details. Um, Hickman's Egg Company that it lots has. of us, as it. they contract with the, you know, they contract for prison labor, works on there, and there's issues there on, on limiting the right, the ability of prisoners to sue if they're injured on the job. Yes. In working on these these other kinds of jobs that they don't have any choice about taking, yeah. So Ducey signed that bill. Yeah, I, 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 didn't, I hadn't seen the details, but it seemed it's when it, is that what it does? It limits their rights to sort of sue. No, what it does is, if the prisoner is injured because of unsafe workplace practices and they or dies and they sue, the money that was spent by the state. So say they're injured and then they're in prison, so the state has to care for them, right? Mm-hmm. They send them to the hospital or they do whatever medical care, which is bad as it is, they do whatever medical care they do. The money spent by the state cannot be recovered. They cannot list in their complaint the loss of the money spent by the state for their health care, only money they spent out of their own pocket. So in other words... The state taxpayers are subsidizing Hickman's unsafe practices. 
So explain that again, Diana, because I didn't quite get it. So, so they're protecting the corporations. I understand it, but I don't quite understand the mechanism for doing it, the legal mechanism okay. for doing it. All right. So I work at Hickman. I fall down. I break my leg. Yeah. They take me to the hospital, and that is paid for by the prison medical budget and or access. It is not paid for by Hickman. It's paid for by the prison. So so the, the doctor, the hospital, sets my leg, puts me in a cast, whatever, and sends me home, and that costs, you know, $7,000. I have no idea what it costs, but let's just say it costs $7,000. Probably is $7,000 these days. Amazing. Whatever. All right, so now I'm back in, in prison. So I then sue Hickman's for breaking my leg in an unsafe workplace practice. I list my damages, right? Yeah. The harm that I suffered, blah, blah, and that's what I'm asking money for. Yeah. Now, part of that harm was the expenditure for the medical care. If I spent out of my own prison budget or my family spent to buy me additional aspirin or um some other kind of lotion for my itchy leg or whatever, then I can put down the money I spent out of my own pocket and the money that my family spent to help me recover from this injury. But the money that was spent by Access or the Department of Corrections for my medical care cannot be included as a loss, so Hickman does not have to repay that. Which would seem to be sort of a disincentive to companies that contract with prison labor to worry about uh, workplace, safety. Workplace, workplace safety laws because they're gonna they're not going to be on the hook for what could be you know a lot more money but if somebody was injured in such a way that it was the, a lifelong disability you know that, right. that in the in the private sector if you were a, an employee of a company you could end up possibly with a good sized settlement because you, they would take into account your loss of future earnings and all you know right. all the medical expenses so in this case you're one where the uh, the again the people contracting with the state or with the private prison, don't have a real incentive to make sure that that, you know, is, is safe labor. Correct. Yeah. So it's encouraging cutting corners at, you know, not only from the actual people running the prisons, but right. the people they're contracting with, you know, let alone the whole issue which has come up, which is sort of what you were talking about, the initial, like, federal lawsuit on the whole issue of of, of prison employment. Right. You know, and whether that, you know, because that's often not, not vol- obviously it's not voluntary. I'd like right. to ask you a really broad question. It's voluntary, and that, that has been said to be okay if you are lawfully convicted of a crime. Yeah. But involuntary servitude is not the same thing as slavery. Yeah. The, the Irish who came here were often brought here in involuntary servitude. They owed a term of service, like seven years, to you know some British company, some British family that they were going to be the nanny for. That's involuntary servitude. They, they own their own bodies. They own their own income. They, there's a ter- there's an ending to this term. Slavery, none of that is true. Yeah. So they're not the same thing. I wanted to ask you now, we interviewed you in 2013, and here it is, 2022, about private prison. Yep. Is the situation, and this is, I mean, this is a judgment call. This is a really broad question, but I wondered your opinion on it. Is the situation in 2022 better or worse than it was when we talked to you in 2013? 
Well, the only thing better is that more people are aware of the problem. Nothing has changed for the better. They haven't gone away. Some states have passed laws uh, prohibiting for-profit prisons, and a few states have kicked them out of their state because of horrible conditions, like that um, walnut, not, not Walnut Creek, that's California, but Walnut, whatever it is, a place where the, the juveniles were so horribly abused. So some states have kicked them out, and more people are aware of the problem. So that's better, but nothing has changed in terms of ending it because they've just shifted those federal prisons into being detention centers for the refugees rather than for uh, federal prisoners. But I also want to mention one more thing here before we run out of time, which is about corporations, whether their only duty is to make money. They also have a duty of sustainability. Now, sustainability doesn't happen when you abuse your workers and your resources and your town and everything else. So one could argue that they have that duty as well, not just to make a profit. And they would argue that, well, it would get into it. An individual case is extremely difficult. Yes. How did we get into this private prison situation? It was it's sort of ideological yep. to begin with. And then I, I noticed the background of the people who set up these corporations to imprison people. And uh, they're very politically connected, right? Yep. And uh, they're very much involved in real estate uh, manipulations and stuff. Yes. Um, that seems to be two motivations uh, coming from it. And that's when you have the people who are, you know, whether it was a Democrat or Republican who's the, who's the leader of a political party setting up some system, it, you know, if it it raises questions right from the beginning. Now, I know that probably legally it's, uh, they, they can separate what they do to make a living from being a chairman of the party, but it suggests corruption from day one. Yes. Absolutely. Well, and that was a whole political shift that happened during the 70s into the 80s when Reagan got in. And there was that political shift to the right. Yeah, let's drown the government in a bathtub. Yeah. yeah. Make it small enough to drown in your bathtub. Exactly. Which, which of course, hasn't happened. I mean, Reagan may have tried to cut the size of government in some ways, but no Republican since has seriously tried to. They may some of them may still talk that talk, but government does not decrease during Republican administrations. If you look at yeah. the facts, the Republicans are the ones who have increased the government and the and the deficit, not the Democrats. Yeah. It's a lie. It's a lie. Yeah, because that you know that idea with this, that side of private re resonates through all kinds of other things through healthcare debates, through education debates, yes. and that idea that the government that the government by definition is incompetent and private industry by definition is competent. innovative, competent, wonderful right. hasn't really gone away. No. That's no. still there, and it's it still comes up in all these things. It's often not it's not stated by somebody saying I'm going to drown government in a bathtub. Therefore, I'm going to privatize. This state service. And yeah. it is a complete but it strategy. Behind, it's yeah. a strategy yeah. to make you think government is incompetent so that you will privatize everything. That is an absolute strategy. You know, star you know starving the system or allowing yes. incompetence you know, to to you know to be obvious and run the system like yep. like the issues within Arizona state presidents, Lansing thinking, well the government, you know, can't do that. Look at the mess they made in 
and in this prison, look at the, it's falling down. Well, the people are escaping, therefore it must be the government's fault. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that ideology did so much damage to the United States. Yes. And, and our Constitution was set up to try to, to get all the different states to, to join in the, the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the Confederacy that was there before uh, didn't work at all. And so there still is some, some, some weaknesses in the way the Constitution is sometimes interpreted on, on issues like this. Oh, yeah. Um, what is the prospect? Now, here's my real question is, okay, folks, if you're out concerned about private prisons, is there a particular website or how would you find out uh, if you want to inform yourself about the issue? Where's the best place to go and what can you do? In Arizona, go to Abolish Private Prisons website, www.abolishprivateprisons. Why don't you repeat that again for folks, Diane? www.abolishprivateprisons. Abolish private prisons. That is the website for the group that started and that ended up bringing this lawsuit that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. They're still active. Now, there's Arizona Justice Alliance also works on criminal justice reform. And that has a Facebook page, but no website, Arizona Justice Alliance. Actually, I think it does have a website, but it's pretty dead. Um, and uh, the third one is Just Communities, J-U-S-T Communities, C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T-I-E-S, Just Communities in Tucson. They used to be the American Friends Service Committee, and now they've morphed into an organization fighting uh, prisons and for-profit prisons called Just Communities. Yeah, the one was American Friends. That was an organization you were working with, I think, when you you know, yeah. a decade ago, yeah. a decade ago, when you came up and talked to us, yes. it seems that that was one of the one of the organizations yes. that that you were working with as a lawyer. You yes. know, one of the many pro bono organizations, sort of, or things you supported over yes. the decades in Arizona. And well, over, thank you. Recently, they, they they morphed into Just Community. Just well, we're kind of out of time. I enjoyed talking to you again. I hope you'll. Come on the show. I hope, in, you know, if we have you in another, what is the difference, you know, like another seven years <laughs> that you'll have better news for us about the, the existence of private prisons. Uh, we want to thank DOOR, Democrats of the Red Rocks. Their office is open now on Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. On April 19th, they're going to have a DOOR fundraiser, which sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, at the Mary uh, Fisher uh, Theater. Check the Door website for that information. And then the Door Breakfast is on April 21st. Um, the uh, Yavapai County Democrats are also extremely uh, active. Get on their website. They do do stuff over here, and there is a group called the... Um, uh, what do they call themselves? The Yavapai. The Verde Valley Yavapai Verde, Democrats. The Verde Valley Yavapai Democrats that's active yeah. in Cottonwood. Yeah, they meet in person once a month in Cottonwood. Yeah. Oh, and, you, oh, wait one second. You mentioned what to do. Tell your representative, senator, and governor do not give one point five billion to the Department of Corrections <laughs> in the budget. Okay, okay, thank you. That's a good one. All right. Um, we want to thank those. We want to thank El Portal, great uh, place. We're planning to have a. Fundraiser. Boy, we're kind of out of money. We haven't had a fundraiser in three years, and mm-hmm. we've lost some of our largest contributors in May. And we're looking at May 12th. The date is not set. It would be at El Portal out in the gardens. Um, 
you'd you'd get to dinner, uh, dinner buffet, wine, beer, water. <laughs> we do we do have water, and uh, uh, for thirty five bucks. And we really would like people to come because at the present time we're kind of in a spiral down to being able to not pay for airtime, and we would have to go and uh, become just an online show. And I'd like to avoid doing that. We've been on air for so long. Uh, We have to wrap it up. Thank you for being with us. Check uh, our website, uh, vvid.org. Check next week. I think we have a great show for you on economics. Listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.